Welcome back to CORIEM, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gaberti, and I'm here with Bree C. Hey, Brian. I love that it's finally getting warmer here in New York. People are getting outside more, playing pickup soccer and football, but we're seeing an uptick in foot fractures in the ED. Yeah, I know. The general rule, basically splint all foot fractures and follow up with ortho. Just watch out for the big three, Jones, Pseudo Jones, and Liz Frank. Exactly. I thought we could delve a little bit deeper into those three. It'd be great to have a refresher since I can never really remember which one is a walking boot, which one needs urgent ortho. Is Liz Frank even a fracture? Okay, let's do it. But before we get started, for the listeners, check out the show notes for media to help follow along the descriptions of these injuries. Okay, let's kick it off with Jones and Pseudo Jones. Sure. Fun fact. Jones fractures are named after Sir Robert Jones, often referred to as the founding father of ortho. He was a Welsh physician in the latter 19th century who focused on kids with deformities and adults with disabilities. We care about Jones fractures because they have a propensity for poor healing due to the watershed area of blood supply. Poor healing can result in chronic pain or non-union. In order to identify Jones fractures, we have to take a step back and look at fifth metatarsal fractures. Start thinking of possible Jones or pseudo-Jones with these. Fifth metatarsal fractures account for 68% of metatarsal fractures in adults. And among these, proximal fifth metatarsal fractures are divided into three zones. 93% are zone 1, and the rest are zone 2 and 3. Your zone 1 fracture is the pseudo-Jones, or dancer's fracture. It's a tuberosity avulsion fracture at the base of the fifth metatarsal that happens when your patient acutely supinates the hyperflexed forefoot. The peroneus brevis tendon can just pop off that little chip where it attaches. Your zone 2 fracture is the infamous Jones fracture. This is a transverse break at the metaphyseal-diaphyseal junction of the fifth metatarsal shaft. Usually you hear a story of an acute large adduction force applied to the forefoot while the ankle is plantar flexed. Finally, your zone 3 fracture is just a proximal diaphyseal stress fracture. Now that we have the terminology down, Bree, how do these patients present besides just saying, my foot hurts? Well, they'll often report a history of acute or repetitive trauma to the forefoot. Their foot is often swollen, ecumatic, with point tenderness to the fifth metatarsal, and you can sometimes feel crepitus. They often cannot bear weight. So like all extremity injuries, the clinical exam is really important. We want to evaluate for skin integrity, neurovascular status, involved tendon function, and remember to check adjacent structures, including ankles, tibia, fibula, knees, hips, Achilles, and ankle range of motion and function. Right. And besides pain control, the next step would be to obtain x-rays of the foot. You want three views, lateral, AP, and 45-degree oblique films. Keep in mind that the acute stress fractures are typically not detected on ED x-rays. If you suspect a zone 3 fracture, have your patient get a repeat x-ray in 10 to 14 days. These can show a radiolucent reabsorption gap around the fracture. And for complex midfoot trauma, consider getting a non-con CT scan to rule out Liz Frank injuries, but more of that later in the episode. Great point. Okay, so we've gotten the story, examined the patient, done some x-rays, and now we have a fifth metatarsal fracture. How do we start thinking about treatment? So we want to consider whether the fracture is zone 1, 2, or 3, and whether it is displaced. We also want to think about patient demographics and their activity level. Is this a weekend warrior? Is this a semi-professional athlete? Or is this a 95-year-old who is wheelchair-bound? 
So a lot of our listeners work in community ERs or rural settings, so I think it's important to recognize when urgent transfer or orthoconsult is required. Other than patients with open fractures, concern for compartment syndrome, which pretty much never happens, polytrauma, and high-end or professional athletes, there are generally no other circumstances that would require expedited STAT transfer to a tertiary care center for immediate further evaluation of fifth metatarsal fractures. And in tertiary care ERs that have access to ortho or podiatry services, we should consider consultation for quote-unquote true Jones fractures, as some cases may be operatively managed acutely or expedited follow-up can be arranged. I think a lot of what we do in the ER for foot fractures is patient counseling and managing their expectations. They often have a lot of questions for me about healing, expected return to play, and next steps. That's why I think it's important to know some pointers about surgical treatment and prognoses. Yeah, I totally agree. We also want to keep in mind that certain patient factors are associated with less favorable outcomes, including female gender, diabetes, and obesity. Right. So, surgery is indicated for neck and shaft fractures with displacement greater than 10 degrees of plantar angulation, or 3 to 4 millimeters of translation in any plane. Comminuted or displaced zone 1 or zone 2 fractures should also go to the OR. For non-displaced zone 2 fractures and zone 3 fractures in athletes, they may need intramedullary screw fixation. For example, Kevin Durant in 2014. He was out for two months due to a Jones fracture. Studies have shown that patients may return to play in around 8 weeks and weight-bearing in 1-2 to two weeks post-op in patients with non-displaced zone 2 fractures who underwent intramedullary screw fixation. Oftentimes, my patients will ask me what kind of surgery they'll need. I always tell them it's a discussion to be had with the orthopedist or podiatrist, but surgery can involve an intramedullary screw, bone craft, or reduction in fixation with a K-wire. Sometimes just giving them some idea will put their mind at ease. Interestingly, athletes usually have the screw stay in their foot until the end of their careers because of the increased risk of refracture once the screw is removed. Nice. So we've considered indication for surgery for fifth metatarsal fractures, which are basically non-displaced or comminuted zone 1 and zone 2 fractures, or consider OR for non-displaced zone 2 and zone 3 fractures in athletes. In tertiary care centers, you can consult your orthopodiatry teams, but in non-tertiary service ERs, there's no need for stat orthopodiatry consultation from the ER unless there's an open fracture, high-end athlete, polytrauma, or compartment syndrome. However, all patients will definitely need urgent follow-up. Right. Talk to your consultant friends to get an idea of when they'd like to hear about concerning 5th metatarsal fractures. So that leaves non-displaced 5th metatarsal fractures that can be treated non-operatively. What type of immobilization and instructions for bearing weight is recommended for these? Non-displaced zone 1 fractures are protected weight-bearing until discomfort subsides. Protection can include a short leg walking cast, posterior splint, or compression wrap with rigid shoe. The choice depends on what your ER stocks and patient preference. In acute non-displaced zone 2 and 3 fractures are both non-weight bearing in a short leg cast with crutches. The difference between these two is zone 2 fractures, our Jones fractures, usually need a cast for 6 to 8 weeks, whereas zone 3 fractures need up to 20 weeks. Awesome. Let's quickly cover the third big deal foot fracture, Liz Frank. Sometimes these are referred to as Liz Frank joint injury complexes. What does that even mean? Yeah, I know. Way too many words for one thing. To make it even more complicated, Liz Frank injuries aren't even always fractures. They can be dislocations, a fracture, a ligamentous injury, or a fracture dislocation at the tarsal metatarsal joints. Exactly. 
Liz Frank injuries are one of the can't-miss diagnoses because it can mean long-term disability for your patient. And we miss them quite often, with a 20% miss rate, because like you said, Brian, there's not always an obvious fracture. Okay, so another foot fracture named for a doctor. And it's kind of strange because Jacques Liz Frank was, oddly enough, a gynecologist serving during the Napoleonic Wars in the 1800s. He saw a soldier who had fallen from his horse when his foot got stuck in his stirrup. The soldier developed gangrene in his midfoot, so Liz Frank performed a transmetatarsal amputation in less than a minute. Wow. So the OBGYN amputates the guy's foot? Something we'd like to avoid for sure. Seriously, that type of credentialing wouldn't happen today. But that explains how the Liz Frank ligament complex got named. The complex consists of three ligaments that run from the base of the second metatarsal to the medial cuneiform bone. The plantar ligament is the strongest and the dorsal ligament is the weakest. This complex is a big deal because it helps attach the forefoot, that is, the metatarsals, to the midfoot bones. It's what gives you that midfoot arch. If this ligament complex gets disrupted in any way, you can end up with a chronic deformity and disability, also known as midfoot collapse or flat feet. We see these injuries when patients have their feet plantar flexed and apply an axial load with ankle rotation. You can see them in ABCs and falls and soccers and football, but even just missing a step into a pothole or off a curb. Kelly Slater famously suffered a Liz Frank injury while surfing in 2017 when a wave bounced his board into his foot, bending it backwards in the middle. Yikes! So what are we looking for in exam, Brie? As always, perform your usual detailed foot and lower extremity exam. You're going to see pain and swelling in the midfoot, and will be able to elicit pain with passive abduction and pronation of the midfoot while holding the heel steady. Plantar ecchymosis is pachymonic of a Liz Frank injury. This is a favorite question on the boards. Nice. As always, look out for evidence of compartment syndrome on exam and make sure you feel that DP pulse. Especially in high-velocity mechanisms, vasculature can be disrupted. Great. So now we're ordering our AP, lateral, and oblique view x-rays. Keep in mind, you should always do a stress view or weight-bearing films, meaning the patient is standing because this will widen the gap that can be missed. Always do a contralateral foot x-ray to compare if there's any suspicion for widening. Okay, so dislocations are the trickiest to diagnose on x-ray because you only see widening, sometimes even just a 2mm gap. Usually the gap is between the base of the first and second metatarsals, but you can also see them between the cuneiforms. Meanwhile, fractures are most often located at the proximal second metatarsal. Watch out for a flex sign, a small avulsion fracture of the Liz Frank ligament, between the base of the second metatarsal and the cuneiform bone. Any fracture at the base of metatarsal should increase your suspicion of a Liz Frank injury. If your patient can't bear weight to get a stress x-ray, or even the stress x-ray is negative, but you still have a high clinical suspicion for this, get a CAT scan. Okay, you got the CAT scan, and you have a Liz Frank fracture. Now what? Call ortho urgently from the ER. Not all patients with Liz Frank injuries will need surgery, but that's a decision our ortho colleague should make. Which patients may ortho choose to treat non-operatively, with a cast for eight weeks? If there's no displacement on stress films and no evidence of bony injury on CT, ortho may treat non-operatively. They may also decide no OR for certain candidates such as non-ambulatory patients or those with serious vascular disease or peripheral neuropathy. And finally, for our listeners who practice in ERs that lack ancillary services and are very far away from tertiary care centers, which Liz Frank injuries should they transfer? So this is a tricky question because there are so many different factors that come into play. These doctors should discuss with their medical directors first and foremost, but they may also always call up the orthopedist or podiatrist at the transfer center who is ultimately going to assume care to get an opinion and also see how quickly the patient can be followed up. 
Obviously, for open fractures, compartment syndrome, polytrauma, neurovascular compromise, or any high-end athlete, you should always push for a transfer. Gotcha. I think we have a leg up on foot fractures now. No pun intended. Shall we do some take-home points? Yeah, bring us home, Brie. Okay. Fifth metatarsal fractures include zone 1 fractures, your pseudogones, zone 2 fractures, your jones, and zone 3 fractures. Pseudogones is a tuberosity avulsion fracture, and jones is a transverse fracture of the shaft. Get three x-ray views for fifth metatarsal fractures and CT of high clinical suspicion. Talk to orthopodiatry for displaced zone 1 and 2 fractures, and talk to them for all high-performing athletes regardless of displacement. For non-displaced fifth metatarsal fractures in the non-athlete, zone 1 fractures are weight-bearing as tolerated in a short cast, air boot, or posterior splint. Non-displaced zone 2 and zone 3 fractures in non-athletes should be non-weight-bearing in a short leg cast with crutches. All fifth metatarsal fractures need urgent ortho or podiatry follow-up. Nice. So that pretty much sums up the fifth metatarsal fractures. As for Lisfranc, these injuries involve a disruption of the Lisfranc complex, which is located at the tarsal-metatarsal joint. The three ligaments run from the base of the second metatarsal to the medial cuneiform bone. You're going to need AP lateral oblique and weight-bearing x-rays. It's easy to miss widening between the bones, so get a CT if you have a high clinical suspicion. Plantar ecchymosis or any fracture at the base of the metatarsal should increase your suspicion of a Lisfranc injury. And finally, ortho should be called for all Lisfranc injuries because many will require urgent operative management. Well, that's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit us on our website, coreem.net. Until the next one, this is Bree and Brian signing off.